0: The intro song, Fishing for Pets, is written and composed by Alan Goldsher from his latest release, Live at the Lakeview Lounge. We're so fortunate today to have Howard Epstein. He's a financial advisor, also a lifelong sports memorabilia collector, just a general sports collector. To discuss here, a, a white paper he had written a couple of years ago. Howard, thank you for, for being on the podcast today.
1: Thanks for having me, Rachel.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, we had first heard about you from Collectible. We were fortunate enough to to listen to that episode. We actually had Alan on the show a couple of weeks ago and just kind of like talking about this white paper that you had written a couple of years ago about, you know, the need to have a little bit more, say, uh, you know, financial know-how when it comes to sports memorabilia, specifically, you know, when somebody is leaving a collection behind. Can you give us some more details about it and what kind of spurred uh, your writing of the white paper?
1: Well, I, I wrote the paper before the pandemic started. And I've always thought for a long time that the whole hobby, sports cards and memorabilia collectibles itself, has been a great uh, alternative asset. And I've believed that for the last 15, 20 years. And I've seen it increasing in prices over time. In the recession, the market does go down, but usually the collectible market recovers a little bit quicker than the overall market. I've seen that. And I just think it's a great hobby. Uh, people love it. People love sports in general. I think it's probably the biggest hobby in the country. It's probably far outweighed uh, stamps and coins, which I know was a big hobby at one time. But I think the sports collectible market is really here to stay and, and increasing in value. And so I wrote the paper because I know that, well, management companies, a lot of times, uh, some people you know, they get older and they suddenly die or pass away or become incapacitated or whatever the situation is, and their spouse. Is stuck with the collection sometimes, and they sometimes don't know what to do with it. Sometimes they do, but oftentimes they don't. And they usually end up selling it locally for 10 or 20 cents on the dollar. And they could get a lot more money for their collection if it's a good collection. I mean, some people have collections that are, you know, a lot of it isn't worth that much. But usually wealth management people are higher net worth people, so they probably have something good. Not all of it, maybe, but something certainly could be there that's decent and valuable. And so my premise was to help those people inside a wealth management company get, you know, probably closer to 80% instead of 10 or 20%. And that would, of course, help them out financially, as well as their advisor, hopefully invest those funds for them, increase their portfolio. The management company itself would also take a cut. That's how the wealth management business works. And so I figured it was kind of a win 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 situation. And I wrote the paper specifically really for that reason. And hopefully that somebody within the wealth management community would understand that and i've talked to a lot of advisors over the last couple of years they immediately get it if they're a collector and they're an advisor they immediately get the whole concept and they, they think it's great and uh, yeah, that that in a quarter will get me a cup of coffee has hasn't reached the right it's people yet in the firm so still waiting to see if that's gonna play out
0: so I mean you're you're basically advocating for these wealth management firms to create a new, you know, uh, kind of position within within their company that can kind of be be called upon when, when, when it happens, if right. someone happens to have, you know, a nice collection, a sports memorabilia collection. And I know we were talking specifically about how a lot of times it happens when, you know, an uh, elderly gentleman passes away and leaves behind this stuff to somebody that doesn't maybe, you know, a wife or maybe children that don't know what to do with it. That's kind of a situation we're talking about, right?
1: Mostly yes. I mean, there are some women that do collect, uh, but primarily it's men that do collect, and so the women usually don't know necessarily about it. Some do, and I've seen some women at some of the shows I've attended. But uh, it's a large percentage of men. That do that. So yes, if the time comes when they're they either age out or want to get rid of it, or perhaps pass away uh, prematurely, then that's it needs to have a position in a company. To, to go to the, to have your go to person to say, okay, talk to the family about this. You know, with the technology today with Zoom and, and FaceTime and all this stuff, you don't even have to travel to go see a collection. You can tell, I can talk to somebody and in 15 minutes, I can tell if they have anything worthwhile or not. And then they can get the, the items directly to the auction houses. They'll get cut. I have deals with the auction houses. Everything would work very well for everybody. It's a shame that nothing's happening.
0: Yeah. So, you know, you, you will say that you ha- have had these conversations, but for one reason or another, your, your call to action hasn't actually occurred, right?
1: Needs the, uh, the top management of the company, probably a collector that would get it and say, gee, this is a good idea because it really is a good idea. I haven't talked to anybody in the collectible field that doesn't think it's a good idea. So I know it will work, but like I said, it hasn't worked as of yet. I'm still
0: hopeful. Yeah. And, and like you said, it's, it's a win-win-win, right? For, for the, the, the family, the wealth management firm, and, and also for the individual who's kind of, you know, cutting those deals. What would something like that look like? So somebody, a position like that. So somebody comes into the uh, the firm, they have a collection, and then that person would kind of, like you mentioned before, you know, direct them, you know, whether it's to a specific auction house or whether it's to, you know, a specific, even people that run estate sales, right? They, they maybe do a good job okay. of, of doing that. Or would it be just that one person kind of like taking a collection and, and, and overseeing its liquidation, whether it's through, you know, online auctions, eBay, things like that? What do you envision that looking like?
1: I don't see it doing it online because that takes a lot of work for that individual to do that. Uh, I think it's more of seeing what the collection is, you know, value or the scope of the collection, essentially, and seeing which auction house may be best suited for that particular person. They're the experts, okay? Not, not the client. They're the experts. They know how to sell the stuff. They know how to package it in different lots and so forth. They're the ones that know what they're doing. And so I would go in to a wealth management community, and I wouldn't speak to the individuals until they had a need. I would speak with the advisors. I've spoken to a lot of people in the collectible market, and I ask a lot of them, I say, do you have an advisor? The ones that do have an advisor, a financial advisor, the next question I always ask is, have they ever asked you about your collection? And the answer I always receive is, no, they don't, okay? Or they don't know I have it. So you really just have to get the advisors just to ask if that's the situation. And so that's the premise of what I would do within an organization. And then once they've at least asked the question, Nothing may happen. I mean, the person may not even tell you they have a collection because some people are secretive about it. But if the guy all of a sudden passed away and he had a collection and his wife was stuck with it, she may remember that the advisor asked that question and call him and get me involved. You know, somebody like myself. that That's when it would happen. It wouldn't be, I wouldn't go out and speak to all the people. You know, if they have a question, I'd be happy to answer it, things like that. Uh, one of the things that you would ask me prior to us getting on was uh, the loan situation. So there's oftentimes, somebody may have a big collection, and they want to increase their collection, and maybe they don't have the funds, they want to see about getting a loan. Well, you can get a loan from a wealth management firm, we're putting a collateral, some of the portfolio that you have, and I would maybe advocate some of the, you know, some of that, it, it depends on the situation. But if somebody wants to do that, I mean, the advisors know how to do that stuff. and. I was called in to speak to somebody and they wanted to just increase their collection. I could talk to them about that. It's not going to, you know, they're not going to liquidate it, but I could at least speak to them. I don't mind doing that. That's something I don't want.
0: Yeah. That, that was part of the white paper. So before I kind of follow up on that, where can people if they're curious about reading the white paper, where would be the easiest place to go read it?
1: I believe they can find it on my LinkedIn page. If not, I think if they Google my name and then put sports cards after that, there's a lot of the podcasts are out there. And I think, one from Barron's that was out there back in January. I think there's a link to the pod to the uh, paper in that podcast as well. If you, you, you pull down the, uh, the written part of the uh, podcast,
0: definitely, yeah. On, on the LinkedIn, that's where I found the yeah. the white paper. I was just wondering if there was somewhere where it's been promoted a little bit more or whatever but the, the linkedin definitely was one of the first uh options so just to get a, our listeners a better idea if they're interested in reading it you know it, it's a it's like a four-page paper i mean it just basically is advocating for uh, well, it's
1: it's more than it's more than four pages although it doesn't take long to read
0: <laughs> <laughs> Look, there you're clear. A, a four-page single-spaced paper i mean you know <laughs> okay maybe, you know, maybe maybe it's gotta say it's a A good read, but it's, it's got its, its arguments. It's, you know, it's got its, its points just so everybody knows, you know, kind of what we're, we're talking about. Secondly, there was a part about the, the paper where it was about taking out loans. And it's so funny because, and I, I wrote in one of the notes, I actually approached my wife about doing that. And she looked at me like I was crazy, you know, taking out some home equity or something like that to add a piece of sports memorabilia. Um, People have done that. People, oh, I'm sure. And, and, and if she had said, yes, I, I asked my wife, can we do this? half joking, but kind of half serious. Cause if she has said, okay, you know, if you feel like that's right, I would have, I would have been in the, to the bank the next day. And it was, it was to get a uh, a Roberto Clemente game used bat that, you know, Roberto Clemente is one of my heroes
1: probably couldn't have lost with that.
0: No. And and that's the thing. Like, to me, it's like, I kind of like the way that you're talking about and you're, you know, this market's going up and not just that though. It's like a Roberto Clemente bat is, is a museum piece. Like it's it, to me, it's, it's something that is iconic, but in any case, you mentioned that that is a viable strategy, right? That that people have done that before to add to their collection, and it made me feel like, oh man, I'm glad I'm not. I thought I was crazy for just thinking it.
1: <laughs> well, it was really in the context of uh, getting it a, a loan from your portfolio with know what management. But you can certainly take another second mortgage out on your house if you <laughs> do that. I mean, I wasn't going to advocate that, but people do do
0: that. You're also, you know, you're talking from a, a point of experience. You've been uh, a collector, I know we talked about since at least the, the 70s. Could you talk about that? You seeing the, the evolution? I mean, I know you said that you always thought it'd be big. What was it like, though, uh, being a collector in the 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, and, and, and those cycles that you've seen?
1: Well, I mean, there, like I said in the paper, I mentioned this, out there. there have been downturns in the market, the economy market takes a hit at the same time, but I've seen the market in the memorabilia market come back quicker, recover quicker than the overall market. So I think it's pretty resilient. And I think the people, like I mentioned, love sports. I think the breath of it is just getting deeper and deeper and there's more and more people in it. And as the press gets a hold of more things, they always see things like perhaps like the Uncle G collection from a couple of years ago, Main press and see other things that press. You know, like 0.2 million. You know, the number, PSA nine that sold a couple years, two, three years ago. Uh, so people like people wake up and see that, and then that some of those people say, oh, you know, I think I have some of that stuff in the attic, and that's what happened on some of those calls as well. So people have seen it and they go to the closet or the attic. You know, the last few months, I talked to a lot of it. Firms and they contacted me through the paper and so forth and some of the podcasts. And they say, you know, I had the exact situation you just podcast. And well, I'm not scientific, but I think that that situation occurs probably about once a week in the country where someone is, you know, needs to get rid of a collection for whatever reason and gets by, you know, 10%, 20% locally. And you just don't hear about these things. You only hear about the things that make the press, the big collection, or something like that, that make the press, like uh, Thomas Newman's collection You know, from last year. He passed away from COVID. In fact, one of my, um, my little, I have a little black book when I used to run shows back in the early days. And I had all these names, and I looked at it about a month ago, and Thomas Newman's name was in there, because I used to live in Florida. And I knew him at one time, and I forgot I knew him. Uh, and I had his phone number and everything in Tampa, and I lost touch a long time ago. And I didn't even think of the name, but when I was looking through my book, he was in there amongst others. And I thought, wow, it's just unbelievable. He had a great collection. Thomas
0: Newman was uh, the doctor,
1: right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Collect- yeah I remember listening. Yep. Yeah, hearing about him.
1: Yeah. He sold the collection for about $20 million at you know, one of the auction houses in California, I think. So, yeah, it's just uh, amazing some of the stuff that's out there. And, you know, the- Good stuff, you know, like, like you collect Roberto Clemente. He's a great, great guy to collect. I mean, Hall of Famer, obviously deceased, you know, he can't do anything bad. So, a la OJ Simpson or something like that. (laughs) You know, some of these newer players, they're still playing. I mean, hopefully they'll make the Hall of Fame. Hopefully they won't do anything dumb. Uh, But some of these guys, you know, like the Aaron's, Maze's, Males, Lenny's, Jackie Robinson's guys and even williams and, and Dimaggio will be next year in my opinion of course you got ruth and garrick and those guys back in the early days so it's um those, those are the, the bread the breadwinners to me
0: and so we talked about your journey as a collector do you mind sharing a little bit about that like i mean how how long you've collected for what do you plan on doing or how do you see your collection going in a couple of years you know when it's time for you to decide should i keep this or should i hand it down or, or auction it off what are your what are your thoughts on that
1: well, I'll probably end up uh, auctioning off uh, pieces of mm-hmm. my collection eventually. I haven't really done that yet, although my wife would love me to get rid of everything now. Yeah. <laughs> I told her if I did, what would I do? I'd probably bug her. But, uh, so I'm very passionate about it. I still enjoy it. I still like looking at the stuff. probably uh, auction some stuff off over time. I don't think I'm going to be handing it down to my kids, although they would certainly take it. Uh, but they're only in my son, when he was very young, I was, in fact, I talked to my wife about this today. He was uh, probably five or six years old, and I gave him a couple of packs of cards. And he was sitting on the edge of the fireplace, opening them up, and he had his scissors, in, and he started cutting up the cards. And <laughs> I looked at my wife, and I said, he's not touching my collection, <laughs> and he hasn't.
0: That's so funny. Um, I have a... Uh... Three boys, uh, my six and four year old, I've been slowly getting them into cards. I could tell it's gonna be my oldest son who's gonna be the collector. My four-year-old is like bending them and throwing them. The other one is like taking very careful, you know, taking care of them and the the, the top loaders and everything. So yeah, and it makes me wonder like, why am I collecting this stuff? You know, and it's just you can't help it, right? It, it means something to you. And right. we talked about that. It a lot of it is, you know, memories, boy, you know, your memories from when you're a child, um, you know, just things when Maybe you view things a little bit differently. I don't know. Uh, I can get deep into that. I'm not going to do it, but it, it means something to us, right?
1: Right. You know, I was one of these guys that, that was collected. I was a, I guess I'm a set collector. I just figured, you know, if I, you know, people collect teams or whatever, if you'd like the Yankees or whatever, I'm buying. If you like the Yankees, you collect all the Yankees. I figured, okay, if I collect the entire set, I've got all the teams. You end up getting the whole set. So I've, I was, I've always been a set collector from early on. And uh, I was never one that stuck the uh, cards in the bike spokes and that. So I took care of my cards. Since I was a child, I've been taken care of them. pretty good. I mean, I, I didn't bend them and things like that, which was good. And then the other big saving grace for me is my mother never threw mine out. So that was a big, big plus for me.
0: I guess you were meant to be a financial advisor from the get go. I mean, you saw the value in those things by taking care of, you know, we've talked about the white paper. We've kind of talked about your hopes for it in terms of, you know, wealth management firms taking, you know, your, your advice and, and helping out their clients. Right. Because essentially that's what it is, is helping them quantify or or validate these collections that people are so passionate about, not just losing them. Right. And selling them off at a, at a steep rebate to whoever, but actually, you know, giving people, the value, the worth of the collection that somebody has spent their time accumulating. The other end is this. Um, I know that you're also, you've done some appraising. What if somebody wants to get into appraising? What goes into that? And really, what, what does that mean? Can someone be just sort of like a local appraiser or do they have to kind of make a national name for themselves?
1: Well, I think, you know, if you can get a national name for yourself, I think that's great. But uh, and I don't know of any particular agency or anything that you can go and study to be an appraiser. I know that some of the... Whether uh, it's coin things or stamps or things like that, other type of collectibles, they might have something organized. I don't know of anything organized, at least yet, that we have in our industry to say, oh, you got a certificate to do this. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there is something out there. But I think uh, my decades of experience uh, gives me that qualification already. And uh, if you've been around it as long as I have, you just pick up a lot of stuff over time. I've got a, a pretty Pretty heavy collection of uh, price guides and things like that going back into the 40s. So I've seen the history of things and the uh, value, pretty much. And I know that the grading companies, you know, since the early 90s have really uh, extended all that and you know one through ten and all that kind of stuff. Many different grading companies out there. And a lot of people looking for grading uh, graded cards, and it's important. You can buy an ungraded card know What you're looking at, and you, and you measure it, you trim them now. So, it's, you got to know what you're looking for. So, there's a lot that goes into it. And, and a lot of times, even on like Antique Road Show, which I love to watch a show, see some of the appraisers on Antique Road Show, they give you a range. Oh, it's anywhere from 500 to 50,000. Well, that's a pretty big range. Okay. But they have to cover themselves because they don't know in an auction, you know, it only takes two people to really drive a price up. So, maybe they're right.
0: Absolutely, you know. Just because I, I think of uh, of an appraiser, of somebody starting a business that way. You know, we talk about like the emergence of uh, the local card shops recently, which is crazy because there were three card shops uh, that opened up in the last year and a half uh, by where I live, and now I'm down to one. Two of them went out of business. You know, they they closed shop, and I'm just thinking like, if someone loves sports, you know, that that's a good sort of market to get into. Where if you have knowledge, if you've kind of been in there for for a couple of years you can kind of, you know, market your services with the amount of information that's out there as well and begin to sort of, you know, be an appraiser. But I don't know if that's kind of taboo, you know, in terms of like you're looked down upon if, if, um, like you said, you're not, you don't have that certification or you don't have that, that wealth of experience. I, I, I'm just kind of curious about that, you know, about if these wealth management firms aren't going to hire a, a, a department, well, who steps in for them, right?
1: Well, I think... Really, nobody's the answer. That, that's the, the unfortunate thing about it. And the reason why I targeted the wealth management firms to begin with, besides the fact that I'm in one, is that these people that are in wealth management firms usually have higher net worths than the average person. So hopefully they have a more average collection than the average person. So there'd be reason to you know get these things to auction once someone needs to or passes away or becomes incapacitated. So it's really it's really a shame that uh, that's not
0: current. Absolutely. Well, H- Howard, it-, it was great talking to you. You know, really appreciate all the insights and-, and kind of like the argument that you lay out for this position that could be that could be done. And like you said, everyone wins. It's just a matter of reaching out. You know, finding that local expert or even a national expert that might be you know uh, available with a phone call or a Zoom meeting, like we're doing right now. Right.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: Uh, Howard, is there any other way? I know you're on LinkedIn. Um, any other way people can can connect with you in case you know they're interested?
1: Well, it's on my LinkedIn page. Uh, I've got my email address on there too. I'll give it to you. It's hfstein gmailcom
0: Awesome. Well, Howard, thanks again. It was uh, great talking to you, and uh, best of luck. Hopefully, hopefully somebody uh, takes your advice.
1: All right. Thank you.
0: Take care. Howard is a sports collectible insider with a life's worth of experience. Pair that with his experience as a financial advisor, and he has seen firsthand the need for financial advisors to provide specific services for lifelong collectors. It would be a shame if a collection decades in the making gets sold for pennies on the dollar inadvertently for lack of knowledge. Howard is advocating for a change. Alternative assets like sports memorabilia are every bit the assets at stocks and bonds are if you enjoyed today's podcast let others know about it we find our guests so interesting and knowledgeable and i know others will too or leave a review or hit the follow button until the next episode take care